0: Good afternoon, church family. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is John and I have the joy and the privilege of serving our community here as one of the pastors. And this afternoon we're looking to continue our series on the fruit of the Spirit, examining how the Spirit makes us into a people of love. Over the summer, Blessie and I took our kids to the Shrine of Remembrance. And for those of you who have been there, you'll know that right in the middle of the inner sanctuary is laid the big marble stone of remembrance, which has these words inscribed upon it from John 15, 13, saying this, Greater love hath no man. And every year, precisely at 11am on the 11th of November, a ray of light shines through an opening in the roof and illuminates the word love on this massive stone. And as we walked around the sanctuary, I was lucky enough to be able to share a really special moment with our eldest, Joel, who's five, and explain to him that these words on the stone were actually the words of Jesus teaching his disciples how the greatest act of love any person can do is to give their life for their friends. And this is exactly what Jesus has done for us. You know, love has the power to lead us to gladlessly, um, gladly and selflessly give ourselves up for the benefit and good of others. Love makes us do extraordinary things. And actually it's something that we should do. But I think in our society, we're just a little confused. I mean, what is love anyway, right? Because I just, I love so many things. I love coffee. I've, I've had four today, so I apologize if I'm a bit jittery. Um, I love cake. I love tiramisu. I love the cold morning air. I love the beach. I love my kids. I love my wife. I love Jesus. And love, it's used as a catch cry of our day, We want to be loved, we want to love, we want love to be the thing that defines our communities. But I wonder if our society in this day and in this age defines love less like Jesus and more along the lines of acceptance. I actually think the prevailing attitude in our world at the moment seems to be that love equals you having to accept me for who I am. Actually, I think our world takes it a little bit further. I think, in our day and age, unless you affirm everything about a person, you're considered to be someone who's completely unloving towards them. But above the way that our culture defines love, the Bible testifies that God is love. And that actually Jesus is the greatest measure and demonstration of God's love for us. And as we read today in the text, the Spirit's role is to make God's transformative love real to us, here and now, by showing us the true love of God for us in Jesus. And so, this afternoon, we'll spend a bit of time unpacking Galatians 5, and we'll see that, um, firstly, in God, we know what love is. Um, Secondly, that the Spirit makes us a people of love through faith in Christ. And thirdly, the Spirit energizes love through this same faith in Christ. So we'll firstly look at um, the love that God is. Secondly, the Spirit's work in making us a people of love by faith. And then thirdly, how the Spirit energizes our love. Let's firstly look at um, how we know what love is in God. Church, I have a confession to make. Um, I'm a terrible dancer. And... It just feels strange, it feels awkward. So I generally try to avoid it. Um, And this really also applies to many facets of my life. I avoid dancing because it's awkward. This also includes the awkward dance that happens um, when you're out for a nice meal with friends and the bill gets put on the table. I don't know if this is like an Asian cultural thing, but for as long as I can remember, there would be like this scuffle, this intense battle for who gets the honor to pay the bill. Um, And it was so strange. Family and friends would bring up like debts from the past, so your friends would say things like, oh, no, 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 you paid for that meal that one time in 2003 when we were visiting from interstate, and then my mum would wrestle the bill out of that person's hand and say, no, 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 in 2007 when we visited you guys, you paid, so please let me have the honor of getting this one. You know, this um, awkward dance, you know, as awkward as it is, this wanting to serve and to bless the other person, it's actually um. I think it's actually a bit of a muddy glimpse into the the dynamic of love that exists within God as Father, Son, and Spirit. Let me say more. As Pete, um, Pete preached last Sunday, Jesus taught in John 16 that the Holy Spirit's primary role is to glorify Him by revealing the truth of who He is as the Son of God. See, the Spirit Jesus teaches in that chapter, is sent from the Father and the Son to glorify the Son. And to glorify someone or something, it just means that you enjoy and delight in them, not for what they do for you or how they make you feel, but simply for who they are. That's what it is to glorify someone. And later we read in John 17, as Jesus prays, he says this, Father, glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. And Jesus says later in verse 5 in that prayer that actually as the son of God, he has existed eternally to glorify the father. And here we glimpse this dance of love that's existed within God for all eternity. Tim Keller in The Reason for God uses this language of orbiting bodies to illustrate this triune dance in God. You see, when we are self-centered, when we're acting out of selfishness, we become static and demand that others, their energy, their resources, their desires must all revolve around us. But in love, we enter into orbit around another using our energy our resources, our affections, to encircle that person. And this is the dance of mutual, self-giving love that exists in God, the Father, Son, and Spirit, for all eternity. The Father takes joy in the Son. The Son delights Himself in the Father. And the Father and the Son send the Spirit, who in return glorifies the Son. And so when Christians say that God is love, as John says in 1 John 4 that Catherine read for us, we don't just mean that love is really important to God. That's not what we mean. We mean that at the center of the universe is the ultimate reality of a community of perfect, mutual, self-giving love. And this is the reason why I think love is the first cab off the rank when Paul lists the characteristics of the Spirit's fruit in the life of God's people. You see, the Bible teaches us that humans are created in the image of God. And this means that we're created for lives of dynamic love in relationship with God and others. We are made out of love for love. And I actually think the dance of love in God is the strongest grounding for our ethics and our justice and for the fight to uphold human dignity. You know, I recently read um, the touching story of Sister Nu Tong. She runs a medical clinic in a town in northern Myanmar, and maybe some of you might have seen this article in the news. You know, amidst all the turmoil that embroil- that's embroiling her nature- nation, when the military forces and the police came um, to crack down on the protesters, she went out to meet them and knelt down in the middle of the road between the police and the protesters. And her words were just stunning. She begged the armed officers to be merciful, to treat the protesters with kindness, to treat them how they would treat the people that they loved the most, their family. She pled with them. She even offered to have them kill her instead if it meant a stop to the bloodshed. And we look at actions like those of Sister Nu Tong and these acts of amazing, self-giving, self-sacrificing love, and we have a glimpse into what the love of God is like. Maybe very rarely, maybe very occasionally, when we are at our peak, we can live this way. But I think for the most part, if we're honest, self-giving love really doesn't come so naturally to us. I just don't think it's my default way of being in the world. I don't know if you would feel the same way. And this is exactly the tension that's at work within the Galatian church in Galatians five. In our reading today, the issue of circumcision was front and center as their community was working out what it looked like to live as God's people in love. See, there were certain leaders Um, and members of their community who insisted that to be a Christian, you had to totally uphold the Jewish law, and circumcision became the hot topic um, issue, a bit like how we have our own hot topic issues today, and the pressure of this conflict brought to the surface this unloving ugliness that lies deep within what Paul calls the flesh, his shorthand for our human nature under the power of sin, And it's obvious from Paul's words that backstabbing, hatred, anger, selfish ambition, all these things were already bubbling to the surface in the Galatian church. And this conflict points us actually to a broader inclination in us as humans. You see the group insisting on circumcision, they're typical of those of us who insist that people are only fit to be loved if they look or think or act a certain way. And the group who are unwilling to follow the Jewish laws point to those of us who follow the rules. Oh, sorry, who refuse to follow the rules, because we've been burnt out from trying, or because we'd much rather live however we see fit, believing that there's no objective standard to love anyway. And either way, if we're moralistic or relativistic, we're essentially we're doing the same thing. We're failing to live out of love for the other. What we're doing is we are choosing to remain static, demanding that others revolve around our wishes and our will. And when we do this, we're not just doing it to other people. We're doing it to God as well. You see, by moralism, we demand that God must accept and be pleased with us, because after all, I'm doing all the right things. And by relativism, we just live however we see fit, either abusing God's love and grace for us or simply denying that he exists altogether. And in both ways, we actually reject God for who he is. In both ways of living, we relate to the God of love out of selfishness rather than self-giving. You know, it's easy for our actions to have the appearance, the veneer of love, and yet be deeply driven by selfishness, using others, even using God as a means to justify our own goodness, as a means to feed our need for comfort or control or acceptance. And the very moment that we do this, we fail to be the people of love that we claim to be. We fail to be the people of love that we hope to be. But apart from rigidly following the rules to put God in your debt or living as the highest authority to, authority to life, there's actually a third way for us to become truly loving people. And Paul points to this third way in Galatians 5.1. He says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And so we have to ask, well, what has Christ set us free from? Well, in the wider context of Galatians, Paul's working hard to help the church come to grips with what it means to be free from the law in Christ. Now, the Jewish law given through Moses in the Old Testament was a set of very stringent regulations that had to be followed in order to maintain a right relationship with a holy and perfect God. And because Israel was God's special people, because he had loved them, because he had chosen them, They wanted to live in relationship with him, and so they worked hard to meet every single one of these regulations out of love for God. And circumcision was a key identity marker for the Israelites. It physically marked them as people who belonged to God and who were different to others in the world. And the tension for the Galatians came when non-Jews started to become Christians. The question was, were they bound to follow all of the same rules? And so this is what Paul addresses when he says in verse three of chapter five, every man who lets himself be circumcised is obligated to obey the whole law. See, what Paul is saying here is that if you are gonna base your inclusion into the people of God on your performance of the law, then you better make sure that you obey it to a T. Because the second that you fail, you deserve immediate exclusion. Now, on the surface, we find this concept a bit unsettling. In the age of acceptance and tolerance, having to follow rules to belong, it sounds a bit, um, how would you say, backward to us. But I actually think our world is more moralistic than ever before. There are more cultures, subcultures and factions and tribes to belong to than ever before. And to belong, you've got to tick certain boxes and the second that you don't, well, You're out. You know, camera phones and social media means that you can never be at rest. We're at risk of being exposed at any moment. One live stream, one upload, one allegation and we could be brought completely undone. So it turns out we're not so different to the Jews and Gentiles in the time of Paul. Like them, we fail to fulfill all that's expected of us. I mean, I can't even remember to bring my keep cup when I go for a coffee, let alone giving my life to fight for the environment. Like them, we fail to fulfill all that we expect of ourselves. I mean, I regularly look down on people in my speech and in my thinking, rather than consistently giving myself to fight for their dignity. You see, this is what Paul's talking about, this crushing burden of the law, this is what Jesus Christ sets us free from, the burden of justifying our place with God and others through our performance. And so Paul goes on to say in verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision has any value. Or to put it another way, in Christ Jesus, neither your religious good works nor your reckless immoral works contribute. Anything to your standing with God. The only thing he, the only thing that counts, he says in verse six, is faith expressing itself through love. Well, faith in what? Faith in who? Paul's answer is faith in Christ. This is the faith that trusts that Jesus, the Son of God in perfect love, made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, humbling himself by becoming obedient to death on a cross to suffer the exclusion we deserve because of sin so that we could be included in the life of God. See, it's by faith in Jesus alone that we are forgiven from every unloving shortcoming. We are made right with God. We are reconciled into loving relationship with Him. We are united to Him by the Holy Spirit. See, this is the faith, Paul says, that matters. Not the faith in your performance, not the faith in your goodness or your morality, not even the faith in your own ability to bring about pleasure, meaning, or power for yourself. No, faith in Christ is what matters. Faith in him as our ultimate justification, our ultimate meaning, our ultimate worth. Faith in Christ as our greatest joy, our greatest treasure, our true reward. This, Paul says, this is the faith that matters. And friends, this is the faith that the Spirit gives to us. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 2.8. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God not by good works, so that no one can boast. See, being saved by grace means that circumcision or uncircumcision, morality or immorality, religion or irreligion, contribute nothing to your ultimate salvation. The one who saves is Jesus Christ alone. And this, friends, this family, is how the Spirit makes us into a people of love because the Spirit reveals to us who Jesus is. He shows us Christ's beauty and his worth. He actually gives us the impulse to turn away from loving ourselves as ultimate, and he gives us the desire and the power to place our faith and trust in Christ and to enter into the orbit, into the dance of love centered upon God. You see, the Spirit glorifies the Son in us. And I want to say this today. If this is happening in you, to whatever degree, you can be sure that this is the work of the Spirit. But faith in Christ, by the work of the Spirit, it not only makes us a people of love, it actually gives us the power to love. See, faith in Christ, although it's a gift from God that we can't earn or merit, It's a gift that is far from passive. God's call, as Pete said last week, is gracious. We do nothing to earn it. But God doesn't call us to be fruitless. Our faith is very much an active force. Paul describes it this way, faith expressing itself through love. A more literal translation of this verse would read, what matters most is faith that energizes love. And this is where faith in Christ runs right against our self-centered individualism. You see, what God wants is he wants the center of gravity of our lives to be shifted from a stationary selfishness to a self-giving love that exists in God. In 2 Corinthians five fourteen, Paul describes the effect of Christ's love this way. He says this, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that all those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Because the Spirit exists to glorify the Son, he causes us, actually, to turn away from self-centered living and towards loving Christ, and living for him, and living like him. And so back to Galatians 5, in verse 13 to 15, Paul works out the implications of the Spirit's work. He says this, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. Friend, what would it look like for your life today if you found ultimate satisfaction daily in the infinite self-giving love of God for you in Jesus. Could you imagine the person that you would be if you daily experienced the perfect love and acceptance and the confidence that flows from God's love for us through Christ? You could be free from needing to prove yourself You could be free to love without fear of how anyone might respond to you. You could be a friend, a spouse, a neighbor, a parent, a colleague who is totally set free to love in complete freedom. Church, what would it look like if our church or your MC, maybe even just half of us, what would it look like if we were so electrified by God's love for us in Christ. I think we would be set free to share and to live out God's love with a generousness, a graciousness, a strength, a longevity that the best of our secular society could only dream of. But family, we fail to love each other. And as I wrestled with this this week, I think we fail because we fail to love Christ, and we fail to know his love for us. But this is where the Spirit helps us, because he bears his fruit in the life of God's people. So I wanted just to give us a moment to listen to the Spirit of God, to hear his voice, and to resolve to walk in step with him. So Spirit of God, help us cause us to love and trust Jesus more deeply right now. Family, do you love Jesus? I mean, are you experiencing a deeper desire to see him, to know him, to love him day by day? Do you want to? Do you want to want to? You can ask for the Spirit's help today because He exists to glorify Jesus. He can blow on the withering embers of our love for Christ. Those embers that sin and evil and the enemy are trying to snuff out and He can fan them into an all-consuming flame. Spirit, do that today. The Spirit's also called the Spirit of Truth. He reveals things to us. Why do we even want to be people who are marked by love? Is it because we want to be admired or respected? Or is it because, as Paul says, Christ's love so compels us? You see, the spirit of truth, he helps us to see how Christ gave up every entitlement that was owed to him. He made himself nothing for us so that we don't have to dread foregoing what we feel we're entitled to, but we can joyfully give it up for the sake of others because we have everything we need in Christ. See, because we've been made infinitely secure in the love of God for us in Christ, we no longer have to guard and fortify our hearts out of fear of being hurt or rejected. And so we can step out beyond our comfort zones, beyond our friendship cliques, and put ourselves in socially risky situations because of God's love for us. Family, the world will know us by our love. And we only truly become people of love when the Spirit helps us to see that God is in himself love, when the Spirit helps us to be set free by the love of God through our faith in Christ, and when the Spirit energizes our love for God and others by that same faith in Christ. And so since we are made alive by the Spirit, let's keep walking in step with the Spirit in love. I'm going to invite Siebert to come up and share a song with us. And I just want to invite you to take this song as an invitation for you to respond in Whatever way you feel led to, you might like to sit there to pray and to reflect, you might like to join in and sing, whatever it is, feel free to do business with God.